Well, good morning to all of you here in the sanctuary, to those of you in the fellowship hall, to those of you in Fairfax. My name is David, and if you'll permit me, I'd like to just take a few moments for some family business and take some time just to express a few personal words of gratitude to you, uh, my support for senior pastor-elect Ryan Laughlin, and a little bit about my next steps. First of all, I wanna say thank you to all of you for the notes, the text, the phone calls, the letters, all the expressions of gratitude to me and my family over the last few days, the last few weeks, and the last few months. Thank you, it, it means a lot and more than you know. And, and now that the Lord is bringing Ryan here in the new year, naturally my role as acting senior pastor will come to a conclusion uh, at the end of this year. Uh, my next step will be to finish my time here at the end of this calendar year, take a few weeks of vacation in December that we as pastors don't always get a chance to do. So we're gonna enjoy that as a family. And then my last day will be uh, December 31st uh, on staff. Uh, my family and I made this decision that this is the time just to begin to be seeking a call to the next season of ministry that the Lord has planned for us, whatever that may be. Uh, this is based on our own sense of calling and in the spirit of ensuring a healthy transition in church leadership. I want you to know I'm going to be praying and I'm going to be cheering for Ryan and for all of you in this church. I've already seen the godly character and gifts that he will bring to this congregation, and I will be doing everything I can to support him and make this a healthy transition. We are truly grateful for the time that we have had here with you. I've had the privilege of serving as your acting senior pastor during the sabbatical of our senior pastor in much of 2019, and then as well as in 2020 and 21 in the pandemic. And I've been on the pastoral staff since 2012, and we've been blessed our entire time here. And it's been a special honor to be entrusted to lead you through a senior pastor transition and during the pandemic as well. And even though the last year has been challenging, please know it's been a great joy to be a part of God's amazing work in this church of incredible people. Thank you all for letting me be a part of that. Kelly and I and the boys now ask and cover your prayers as we seek God's call on our lives. And we'll be praying for all of you and for Ryan as he leads you in this new season. And we are excited to see how God continues to work in you and through this ministry. And so let's pray uh, that uh, God would continue to do that. And also as we transition to our scripture and spend time focusing our eyes on Jesus. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, all of us need to see Jesus. So Holy Spirit, please help us to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we draw near to you through your word. Transform our lives by the wonder of your grace. It's in your name that we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter five. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it'll be found on page 800. And 10. We're just going to read a few verses beginning in verse 14. This is at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus speaking. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp 
and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So today we're considering this short parable of the lamp under a bushel, or really a basket. Now it's a familiar passage for many of you because you may have sung a song about this in VBS or if you grew up in the church, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, I'm not sure this is a parable. And some commentators and uh, pastors would agree with you. Different folks categorize it as a parable or a metaphor. And and what I want you to uh, think about today is regardless of if you're familiar with this passage or you're stuck on what figure of speech it is, let's focus our attention on this text because it's really important and powerful. It's important because these metaphors or parables show us how to enter the kingdom of heaven. It shows us how to treat one another in the kingdom. And it shows us how we are to engage with the world around us. It's also a really powerful metaphor or short parable because in just these few verses, it helps us understand who we are and what we are to be about. Those are two important questions in every one of our lives because it shapes us, determines our decisions as well as where we will spend eternity. And so let's just consider this text under those two headings, who we are and what we should do. Who we are and what we should do. Look down at verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. You yourselves are the light of the world. It's emphatic. And the first thing that it would be helpful for us to do is to consider who is Jesus talking to. That kind of makes a big difference when we consider this verse. So flick back to the beginning of chapter five in verse one. And it says, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones, a physician turned pastor from Wales, describes this scene. He says, you, said our Lord, looking out upon these simple people, those entirely unimportant people from the standpoint of the world, you are the light of the world. Think about that. If you heard someone giving a speech and calling their audience the light of the world, to whom do you think he or she would be addressing? Maybe a graduation ceremony at an Ivy League institution? Maybe a boardroom in one of the Fortune 500 companies in the Dulles Technology Corridor? But friends, that's not the audience that Jesus is addressing. Jesus is speaking these words to ordinary, everyday people, not because of their academic, professional, or religious credentials, but simply because they have responded to the voice of Jesus. 
Think about who specifically is in this group of disciples. He's speaking to Peter. He's going to constantly stumble and eventually deny him. He's speaking to James and John. And do you know their nicknames? The Sons of Thunder. <laughs> it's because they were prone to lose their cool and express their tempers. He's speaking to Thomas, the one who doubted with all of his questions. And he's speaking to Matthew, the tax collector, the traitor to his people, in a profession that was known to lie and steal. And it's not just the people that is shocking. Look at the verb. It says, you are the light of the world. Not you should be the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. It's a statement of fact and says something about the identity of his followers. It's outrageous if you think about it. And so we need to ask the question, how is it possible that Jesus can look at this group of fishermen and tax collectors, of this group of failures, doubters and deniers from small unimpressive towns like Galilee and say this. It's very simple, but it's very important. Jesus can call them the light of the world because of who he is and who he declares them to be. Consider Matthew 4, 16, earlier in this same gospel account. This is what Matthew draws out of Isaiah when he says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Sunday school answered, right? Who is the great light? The great light is Jesus. <laughs> He's the Messiah of the Old Testament, as in Isaiah 9-2 that we read very often in the season that's approaching in Advent. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Jesus is the light by which we see everything, including ourselves. And so his speech and what he says is authoritative, it's powerful, and it's effective. And so when he declares them to be the light of the world, they are. This is what he says in John 12, 36. While you have the light, Jesus, believe in the light that you may become children of light. This blew me away this past week as I thought about it because it's like the world at creation when it was in darkness and formless. And God said in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. And there was light. And so Jesus is looking at their darkness and he's declaring, let them be light. And they were light. 
One of the illustrations that so many pastors use is that Christ is the shining sun and his followers are like the moon that shines not with its own light, but reflected light when the sun sets. Jesus is the light of the world. And when he leaves, he says, friends, church, you are now the light of the world. You are reflecting my glory and my grace. So friends, Jesus can call them the light of the world because of who he is and who he declares them to be. His voice is authoritative. It's powerful and effective. And all those who hear his voice and follow him become new creations, the light of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but as I hear Jesus say this, you are the light of the world, I think many of us have a tendency to think, well, that was good for those first century Christians, or I can look around and see some super Christians living today, and and that's who Jesus is calling the light of the world. But friends, that's not true. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, you were darkness. Doesn't say you were in darkness. It says you were darkness, but now you have been made the light of the world. Why? Because Christ is shining on you. His light transforms all the darkness that is in you and in me, what we call depravity. The darkness of our hearts that says we're not enough and not valuable. And Jesus is the light of the world. And he declares that we are made in his image. And so we have inherent value, dignity, worth, and beauty. He speaks to the darkness of our minds that we are not lovable. He speaks to the darkness of our actions that we've messed up too much and too many times for God to love us. But Jesus declares, yeah, (laughs) you've messed up, but I've lived a perfect life and I've done everything that you should have done. And guess what? I'm glad to give you my life. Friends, there are so many times in my own life that I've thought that Jesus couldn't be talking about me, calling me the light of the world because I've had doubts like Thomas, I've denied him like Peter, and I've had a lack of patience like James and John. But like Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus speaks to me and he speaks to you saying, because of who I am and because of who I have declared you to be, you are the light of the world. Now, to all of you who wouldn't describe yourselves as Christians and to those of you who do, do, 
Will you hear the voice of Jesus inviting you from darkness to light? Today is a great day to hear the voice of Jesus and to follow him from darkness to life, from enemy from fr to friend. You can be made a new creation in Christ. So friends, that's who we are. But then we also have a job to do. We have a natural purpose if we are the light of the world. And that's our second heading today. What should we do? What should we do? Well, Jesus tells us in verses 14 and 15, using these two metaphors or short parables. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So about these short parables of light, what is Jesus getting at? I think we have a challenge because it, we have a different relationship to light than they did who were living in the first century. We have a tendency to take light for granted. A, a few years ago, you may remember our, our Fairfax uh, lead pastor, Rob Yancey, pointed out that in this room, in this sanctuary, there are eight chandeliers, 20 wall scones, sconces, 16 spotlights, 28 recessed lights, and at least 200 more lights on our phone in this room alone. Now, I didn't count in the fellowship hall or in Fairfax, so I'm sure some kids will be counting lights right now. And I'm sure some of you are double checking me right now as well. If it's wrong, speak to Rob Yancey, not me. <laughs> but not so in the first century. Light was not as available and not as decorative. There would often be just one light source in a home, a few candles by which you could see in the room so you could know what you were doing. But light also symbolized protection and life in the darkness. Because in the ancient world, if you got lost, you were vulnerable to being attacked or not finding your way home. And so Jesus reasons, if light is that valuable and that impor important, who puts a basket over it? <laughs> Look down again at the personal plural, plural pronoun that's used three times in verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, if we understand our identity, that we are the light of the world, it will transform our activity in the world. It's very simple, but it's very powerful. Jesus calls us to act like the people he has already made us to be. If Christ is in our heart, then he should be visible in our life. And friends, this short parable about light helps us to see not only who we are, but how we are supposed to live, to take grace and hope into the world, into places of darkness. That's what it means to be the light, to illuminate everything that's gone wrong in the world. Ever since the fall, 
Darkness has been a part of this world. And I don't have time to prove the point, but it's fairly obvious that there is darkness every day as we hear about abuse, slavery, murder, starvation, gossip, slander, and so much more. That's what the Bible means. That's what darkness symbolizes. Everything that's gone wrong in this world. And I know in the nice suburbs of Northern Virginia, when we walk around all the shopping centers, when we see all the nice homes, we can have a tendency to think that there's no need for light. But we know better than that, don't we? It doesn't take much to look below the surface, to lean in and to listen. And soon we will see all the darkness that is not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people, of our friends and of our neighbors. There is hurt and desperation all around us. There's relational brokenness. There are people battling addiction. There's mental health struggles in our kids and adults. We've had 18 months of COVID when we couldn't be in hospital rooms with our loved ones, when we've had to do funerals by Zoom. There's cancer and the list goes on. And friends, here's what it means to be the light of the world. It means that we don't look the other way. We don't turn our heads when we see that stuff. We don't circle the wagons and leave the hurting on the outside. We go looking for the hurting and the struggling and the broken, and we reflect the light of Jesus so that hopefully and prayerfully others are drawn to him. Christian, that's what it means in verse 16, to let people see your good work and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I was struck by that a few weeks ago when Wilma Cross was up here, if you remember her, longtime missionary, been out, I think, on the field for 300 years, <laughs> right? When she walks up here and we want to thank her, do you remember what she did? She pointed up. And friends, that's what we do with our lives. We point up to the light of the world who has shown on us, friends, because Jesus is the light of the world, we can reflect his light and shine before others. So let me encourage you to think about how you can bring light to darkness this week. Well, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, right? So a great place to start, and I think what Jesus is getting at is the Beatitudes. You go back and you read verses two through 11, it's really quite simple about what it means to live as lights in the world. We ask God to make us a people who are what? Poor in spirit, a people who are quick to repent over our sin, a people who are meek and humble, a people who hunger after righteousness, who are known for their mercy, their purity in heart, they're peacemaking and those who are willing to be persecuted 
for the name of Christ. Friends, this week, consider someone who may be struggling with loneliness and take them to coffee. Consider someone who may have lost a loved one over these past 18 months or even during their life and invite them over for Thanksgiving. Students, you're not off the hook either. Consider someone in your school who could use a friend to sit with at lunch, even if it's still socially distanced. (laughs) Consider someone in poverty who would benefit from your generosity. Friends, let's live in a way that demonstrates that there is nothing more important than Jesus by declaring that to the world through our deeds and our actions. Shine wherever you are. Shine in your neighborhoods. Shine in the arts. Shine in politics. Shine in education. Shine in your workplaces. Shine in your families. There are plenty of places, some easy and some hard, but maybe just pick one for a day, one for a season that you can let your light shine because of the way that God has wired and gifted you in this season. And friends, let me be honest. There are so many dark places in this world and it can be hard to turn on the light, to see sin and suffering in our own hearts and in the world. But friends, when the lights come on, we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is the light and he has overcome the darkness and he is with you and he is with me. And we know that the light of the world is returning and we know that he is making all things new and he will one day ultimately overcome all the darkness in the world. Listen to the last book of the Bible in Revelation 21, verses 22. John writes, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Friends, it's hard work, and at times we might be tempted to give up to shine our light in the darkness. But take heart, because Jesus has overcome the darkness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these familiar but powerful words that remind us of who we are in Christ. And Father, I pray that now as we go to the table, as we feast, Father, we pray that we would be reminded of who we are so that we might shine as light before a watching world that is still in darkness. Father, enable us to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.